Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. We're glad that you're here today with us, and we're looking forward to another 45 minutes of engaging discussion. I hope you join us. Uh, if you're coming in using the iPad app, not iPad app, the Zoom app, go ahead and click on the Q&A box and enter in your questions and text them in there, or raise your hand using the high, the uh, the hand icon, and we'll bring you in, bring your audio in, and you can talk to us directly. Uh, let me introduce our panelists again. We have Stephen from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, right, Stephen? That's correct. Welcome, everybody. Thanks, Drew. Good to have you here. Scott Smeltzer from Gettysburg, PA. Hi, Scott. Hey, Drew. Hey, everybody. And Jeff Smeltzer from Exton, Pennsylvania. Hey, good afternoon, Drew. I'm just wondering, we were talking about product placement. I'm wondering how much you got paid to say iPad app a minute ago instead of... <laughs> you caught me. You caught me. You caught me. Open for uh, a free one. Oh, uh, yeah. Once in a while, we'll slip in a free one. So, um, and I'm Drew DeGrado from Honesdale, Pennsylvania. And our webcast engineer, Noah, is with us. Hi, Noah. How are you doing? He's uh, <laughs> there you go. You had your audio down. All right, everybody. Good to see everybody. Um, and also on Stephen's Facebook page, we're broadcasting live. Uh, Stephen? Yes. So if you're tuning in today via the Facebook page, please feel free to leave your comments in the comment section below, and we'll get to those as soon as we can. Now, we're going to start off with a couple of, th we have two basic things today. Uh, one of them, actually two of them, was uh, generated from interest from last week where we started going into a direction and we've got some of those points in and questions in. we're going to get to them as well. But I do want to encourage everybody to send in your questions, uh, either, like I said, on the apps or on the Facebook page, text them, or you can go to the website, BibleQuest.tv, fill out the form on that website, and that'll come into us as well. Um, all right, so we're going to start off with a question that came in from a viewer uh, which says, uh, since who said, since my brother's uh, sudden death in October, I've been focused on heaven. I know I have work to do in the kingdom, but it seems all I focus on is heaven. We are supposed to look toward the goal of heaven, but I need help getting refocused back into life. How can I get refocused on doing God's work while still wanting to be in heaven? That's a very good question, right, guys? Yes, it is. Where are we very going? It's really good to be focused on heaven. The idea of uh, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. I'm looking forward to where I'm going. Uh, but God does have in mind us being here in this lifetime, serving in his kingdom. Um, there's a story that I think will be relevant to this, to this questioner. It's in Mark, the fifth chapter, and it's the story where Jesus cast the demons out of the individual. Uh, in fact, Matthew says there were two individuals. Mark just tells us of one. But a couple of interesting things about it, there were so many demons, the, the demon's name was Legion, because there were many of them in this man. And another interesting thing about it is uh, when Jesus cast the demons out, they begged him uh, that he not send them to the abyss, but that he send them into the herd of swine nearby. And so he did that. And people will remember this story because of that. But the man who was possessed of the demons, or the two men, as Matthew says, had a miserable existence, and, and Jesus freed him of that existence without going into all the details. After the man is purged of the demons, Jesus is getting into a boat to go away. And I'm going to pick up the reading here in Mark, the fifth chapter, 
and I was looking at it in another translation, so it's a different place on the page. I'm going to pick it up in verse 14. Uh, verse 15. They came to Jesus, and no, I'm sorry, verse 16. Those who had seen what had happened described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine, and they began to entreat him to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, so Jesus is leaving, the man who had been demon-possessed was entreating him that he might accompany him. This man wants to go with Jesus. And verse 19 says, he didn't let him. Jesus wouldn't let him. But said to him, go home to your people. Report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went off and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So yes, it's great to want to be with Jesus, but Jesus has in mind that we have work to do for him. And this man needed to be about the business of doing that work. That's the thing I think that, that we need to think about when we start getting focused on the point of heaven to the point that we're not realizing we can be useful right now to the Lord. Mm -hmm, that's right. I think about Paul's mindset in Philippians chapter one, where he is uh, in prison there in Rome, uh, but he's facing possible death. And I'm sure the Philippians would have been really worried about Paul and thinking about, oh, how is he doing? What's, you know, on his mind? And he says there in Philippians 1, starting in uh, verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you have, may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Well, Paul takes what could have been a lose-lose situation, and he turns it into a win-win. Win-win, yeah, yeah. You know, he could have felt sorry for himself. Well, I'm stuck here in prison, and I can't do good work now, and, oh, and they might kill me. You know, so it's like, if I stay here, I'm stuck in prison. If I die, I die. And instead, he says, to live is Christ. And aren't we grateful that, you know, Paul ends up having to do a lot of his work by letter. And now we have some of those letters preserved for us. And here we are getting encouragement from Paul's stay in prison. Or he said, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. His focus was on heaven. He wanted to go be where the Lord was, but he had, he looked at it as a win-win. As long as I'm here, that means fruitful labor for me. But as soon as it's my time to go home, that's far better. You know, this existence is a wonderful thing. What God has created for us to live in is a wonderful thing. And, but it is a mistake to get more attached to the creation rather than to the creator who made it. Uh, and, and the fact is there are troubles in this existence. And um, it's when maybe sometimes some people, when, when the troubles just seem overwhelming in this life, that they just just ready to escape. That's really part of our task is to serve God in the midst of these troubles and to demonstrate, to live God's love and God's holiness uh, for others to see. In 2 Peter chapter 2, there's this description of Lot living in Sodom. 
and it describes Lot as a righteous man who is sore distressed by the lascivious life of the wicked. It goes on to say, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their lawless deeds. We don't want to be the kind of person who just gets so attached to this world, we don't see the lawlessness around us and it doesn't bother us. We want to be the kind of people who are distressed by the, the deeds of the lawless around us and who want something better. And Paul in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4 talks about being delivered out of this present world. But, but we have a task we have a service to render to God. It's not just all about, I want peace and comfort. It's about, yes, I want peace and comfort, but I need to be willing to do God's will in the midst of the lack of peace and comfort. So are you suggesting this is uh, towards uh, helping this viewer to get refocused into life and not go so much to get attached to life to you know, neglect the spiritual life. So, so where, where are we helping this person to get refocused refocus with the proper level? Yes, yeah, Scott? To be in this world, but not of this world, but working in this world to help other people do the same. So as Jesus said to the apostles, you, know, you are not of the world. But then Paul says to the Corinthians, when he's designating who should be you know, uh, not kept company with, fornicators and such among brethren said, I'm not talking about in the world, for then you'd have to go out of the world. So we have to live in this world, but we shouldn't be of it. And if all Christians just said, hey, we're all leaving now, get on the bus, we're all going to heaven, what would the world be left with? Well, Jesus wants us to be the light of the world. And when we pass on, what do we want those still here to do? Do we want everybody to you know, be, be done with this life and just want to come join us? Or do we want them to continue being lights in the world and doing good? Stephen. Yeah, I think that these two thoughts of wanting to do productive work in the kingdom and wanting to be with Christ, they fuel each other. The more that we do productive work in the kingdom, the more that we are focused on God's mission, the more we're excited on being where God is. And the more that we're persecuted for doing what's right, we're ready for rest. But at the same time, the more we think about the rest that's coming and the relief that that's going to be and the blessing that that will be to be with the Lord, the more we want more people to come in and to, and to be with the Lord. And so uh, instead of letting these things draw us farther away from the other, uh, they really fuel each other, I think. There's a passage in Hebrews 2 that comes to mind. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, it became him, speaking of Jesus, for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the, I guess I misstated that. I guess the idea is God bringing Jesus to glory. So let me reread it. For became him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the author of their salvation perfect through sufferings uh, for Jesus to accomplish what he did for our salvation. He had to endure suffering and Jesus is our role model. And so we need to, to be willing to go through this lifetime, enjoy the, the magnificence of the creation God has made here, but enjoy it with a view to heaven, but being, being willing to endure the sufferings that we have while here with a view to doing what we can in service to God. Yes, yeah, Scott. One, one quick aside, and then uh, let's turn our attention to the other questions we have, unless somebody from the uh, one of our viewers has a comment or question. This is, 
Um, it's not the same topic, but it reminds me of it uh, in, in a different way. Um, the monastics, the desire to go into a monastery um, where you are you know, going to be focused on the spiritual all the time, which we need to be focused on the spiritual, but um, what, what concept was missing with the monastic lifestyle? Being sure. the salt of the earth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's collecting all the salt and putting it in a salt shaker and locking it in the cupboard. And for us to be the salt of the earth, we, we have to be in it. And as loved ones go on, uh, we miss them, but we've still got work to do. All right, let's, uh, let's get to this next uh, question. This comes in from um, Aniva, and two questions are presented. I've got two questions. Do, you, do any of you know how one is supposed to know if you are part of the elect according to Calvinism? Second question, if you had one passage to counter this, one saved, always saved thinking, what would it be? If any of you have different verses, I would like to hear it. Thank you. So uh, who wants to start off with that one? And now this was also um, uh, motivated by some of the discussion we started getting into last week. Yeah, so, I believe this is one of the comments during the show last week that we didn't see. And so we're trying to get to that answer that this week. Yeah, I want to apologize also. We had some technical issues last week. seems like we're always saying that. But anyway, we couldn't see the comments coming in on Facebook, so we apologize for those. But we're getting to them now. Go ahead. Who, who's going to start off on this? Well, I think it may be helpful Which, just to way, start. No. Go ahead, Scott. Go ahead. I think it may be helpful just to start off with what, what do we mean by Calvinism? Uh, we want to be careful not to misrepresent, but to uh, be open about what our understanding of that doctrine is and then to kind of respond uh, to our perception of it, at least. Um, Calvinism sometimes is summarized by five points uh, with acronym TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. Um, Scott's got a book here, Five Points of Calvinism. But that didn't uh, go public until you speak, Scott. Okay, there it is. This is, I would, if, this is by a Calvinist, and I would recommend it not because it's true, but because it clearly states their position, the Five Points of Calvinism, by Edwin Palmer. He was executive secretary of the New International Version, general editor of the NIV Study Bible. And he's a Calvinist, and he states his position very clearly with not too many words. So it's helpful to understand what Calvinists are saying. All right, so in a nutshell, then, what's the overall theme, then, for Calvinism? Stephen, you were going there? Yeah, so uh, under this, one of the uh, words that's often used to focus on is the sovereignty of God. Um, that God is sovereign over all things and over all people, over all events. And on a surface level, I would agree, well, yes, God is sovereign. He is the, the highest. But it's, it's what we mean by that, that where we get into some differences. Um, Calvinism is summed up usually in five points. Uh, TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. T stands for total depravity or total hereditary depravity. The idea that everyone is born uh, with the sin of Adam on them. Uh, we are totally depraved. We can only do evil things from the time that we're born. And we have, do not even have the ability to do good or to want to do good until God acts on us. Now, let's keep in mind, Stephen, new people are just coming in. So I just want to clarify that you're, you're, telling, you're, you're telling us what Calvinism 
teaches, not necessarily what we are saying the Bible teaches. Right. I am not a Calvinist. I recommend that book. I'm not recommending the book as a biblical book, but as a book that describes what this false teaching is about from a person that believes it. Go ahead. Correct. So that's the T, total depravity. Uh, U is unconditional election. And the Bible talks about election, talks about predestination, but the idea that it is unconditional, I don't believe is a biblical concept. But the Calvinist doctrine would teach that uh, God, before time began, uh, would in a very individual way have selected who was going to be saved, um, and I think, at least by default, who was going to be lost, and went ahead and picked that to happen, and he causes those who he wants to be saved, the elect, to receive uh, his calling and election and grace, and that's, that's how that works. Yes? I'm not going to do much reading here, but I want to read one little section here so our viewers will, will, will understand this well in a Calvinist own words. Foreordination means God's sovereign, that very loaded word here, uh, when you understand what the Calvinist means by sovereign. God's sovereign plan where he decides all that is to happen in the entire universe. Nothing in this world happens by chance. God is in back of everything. He decides and causes all things to happen that do happen. He's not sitting on the sidelines wondering, perhaps fearing what is going to happen next. No, he has foreordained everything, quote, after the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1, the moving of a finger, the beating of a heart, the laughter of a girl, the mistake of a typist, even sin. So, if you giggled this morning, before the world was created, God decided you would giggle, planned for you to giggle, caused for you to giggle. And if you raped and murdered somebody, the, the rapist and the murderer, he did that because before the foundation of the world, God decided he would do it, planned him to do it, and caused him to do it. And in Calvinism, there's this idea of sovereignty that if we have any power, if we can be in control of any power, that took away from God's power. And they feel that by giving, putting everything on God, that they're honoring God. Wasn't there something that just happened, Scott, you were bringing up, that someone has that mindset and they went, committed a crime? Uh, the one particular part, the last point, Stephen will get to in a minute, once they've always saved, is one way of phrasing that. We talked about last week, the guy, he said, my pastor said I could commit mass murder and still go to heaven. So he went out mass murder and thought he was going to heaven and a deacon at his church said uh, where he used to go said yep he's in heaven all right good Stephen. continue wow so the t is total depravity use unconditional election l is limited atonement which states that jesus only died for the elect his atonement is limited for the sacrifice was only intended for those whom god had already unconditionally chosen the I is for irresistible grace. And the idea is that when you are one of the elect, God has already, he's going to act upon you and you cannot resist his will uh, to receive that grace. And God's going to make sure that you're saved, which kind of leads to the last point. The, the five points within that system follow logically and kind of stand or fall together in some ways. The P is perseverance of the saints. Uh, which is sometimes known as once saved, always saved. And that's the idea that if you are one of the elect, you cannot fall from grace. Once God has acted upon you uh, to receive uh, grace, to receive faith, uh, you, you will not fall away because God's not going to let you fall away. Is the idea. And I, I want to be careful. 
Um, I know there are different Calvinists who would phrase things perhaps differently, different ways, uh, who might be listening to the show today. And again, we welcome questions um, about these things. Uh, but I'm trying to at least present my best understanding of what this doctrine teaches. So our question from Aniva is, do any of you know how one is supposed to know if you are part of the elect according to Calvinism? Uh, how, 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 would, um, how are we supposed to know whether we're the elect? Do you have thoughts on that? So there's a website called gotquestions.org, and I don't know a whole lot about them, but what I've seen before of them, they seem to have a Calvinist bent to some extent. And if you uh, go to their website and you look at their article on whether or not you can lose your salvation, they say, no, if you're saved, you cannot lose your salvation, which is, of course, the upshot of Calvinism. It's the P, the perseverance of the saints idea. And so they also have an article on how do you know if you're one of the elect? And they end up saying this, the final paragraph, one sentence, they say, if you have received Jesus Christ as your savior, savior, trusting him alone for salvation, believing that his sacrifice is the full payment for your sins, congratulations, you are one of the elect. And, and what they're doing here is they are, well, I'll just tell you, I'll let them tell you what they're doing. They say a little bit earlier, um, uh, whether belief secures election or election causes belief, that's another debate. In other words, they're saying whether you, whether there's a condition, whether you're required to do something in order to be saved or whether because you're saved, you do it. They're not going to deal with that in this article. In other words, they're leaving open the possibility that Calvinism is right. You don't have a choice. God's chosen you. You're going to be saved. And as a result, God puts belief in your heart. But then, if you believe, obviously, you're one of the elect. That, that's what they're, they're allowing there. So that's one answer to how a Calvinist would say uh, what the answer is to this question. How do you know if you're one of the elect? He'd say, well, if you believe, then obviously you are. Yeah. And then you run into, if you've ever studied with a Calvinist on once saved, always saved, Every passage that you show them that shows a saved person becoming lost, almost without fail, they will always have the same argument. What's that argument going to be? But There's two, two points. Either the guy wasn't really saved, and right. now he's lost, or he was really saved, but now he's not really lost. <laughs> right. Like, oh, yeah, he doesn't have fellowship with Jesus, but he's still saved, or some nonsense like that. He's got a crown in heaven, but it doesn't have many jewels in it. Uh, he goes right, right. to heaven, but he's on the other side of the tracks in heaven. You know, small mansion. <laughs> and where where do we I find got, I those? Share a song. I got to share a song. Je- a song. Jeff, where do we find those things written in the scriptures, the things you just said? We don't, but we're going to get to question number two in a minute, and we're going to talk about some passages that, that show those ideas are impossible. But I want to hear Scott's, did you say song or song? 1970s, Rusty Old Halo. I know a man as rich as a king, but he won't give his neighbors a thing. He'll get up to heaven someday, I'll bet. He'll get up to heaven, and here's what he'll get. A rusty old halo, skinny white cloud, secondhand wings full of patches. Rusty old halo, skinny white cloud, robe so woolly that it scratches. I don't know what's funnier, the song or the fact that you're singing it. Hey, our that, audience. That was, not just, bad, Scott. that was not bad. I Mary, thought we were going to lose some audience on that one, but I think we just increased. <laughs> <laughs> People are tuning in by the droves. <laughs> it's not going to be repeated. 
<laughs> but the thing is, uh, let's just even take a look at the premise of that. So country music has some interesting uh, kind of Southern Baptist theology in it lots of times, uh, which not all Southern Baptists are Calvinists. Some are, uh, some aren't, but almost all of them take, once they've always said the fifth point of Calvinism. Um, but just biblically, does the Bible mention a man kind of as rich as a king, but he would not give his neighbor a thing except for maybe some crumbs? Yeah, that's right. And yeah, did he end up uh, with uh, Rusty O'Halo, Skinny White Cloud? Not no. at all. He was in torment. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, sorry about that. Back to where we were. Well, that was educational. <laughs> Let's get to um, the next question. We, that part we've of that had question. A, real quick, uh, before we move forward, we've had a couple of comments come in that were commenting on the, the last question we were talking about, about focusing on heaven. Um. Herman has said, what comes to mind of what Paul said, I would rather be with Christ, uh, but for love of the lost, I need to be here doing his work. And of course, we talked about that in Philippians chapter one. Uh, Harv said, if anyone understood heaven, it was Jesus. He left this place of glory and came here to serve. He said, John nine four, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. If we are to follow in his footsteps, we must find to serve, or we must find ways to serve while it is day. So that's the idea. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why do we have to work and serve if it's going to be, we're going to be chosen regard, regardless? Well, those, those are going back to the previous. Going back to our previous no, I know, but I'm tying, I'm tying it in. I'm tying it oh, in. Oh, okay. All right. Well, anyway. Drew's making yeah. a cast. And Herman uh, also talked about obeying God's commandments, visiting the sick, uh, those in jail, helping the less fortunate will help us refocus our mission as Christians here on earth. That's a very good point. It is very good. Back to the present conversation about Calvinism. The second question we have from somebody who asked about uh, how Calvinists know if they're one of the elect. The second part was, if you had one passage to counter this once saved, always saved. You, yeah, Scott? Yeah, I, I sidetracked this. We, we didn't quite finish the point. We, you brought it up, and, I, and then I got it. Are you going to sing the rest of the song? No, I'm not going to no, sing no, the rest of the song. I was just checking. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... That's that's the less common explanation on a lot of those passages. Oh, yeah, they're still saved anyway. But the most common reaction on like a Galatians 5 or 2 Peter 2 is always going to be the other one Jeff referenced, which is, oh, they were never saved. Oh, they, they were in the church, they were, they, but they were never really saved. Well, then let's go back to that how you know. Because just because they talk about oh, all the backsliders, all the hypocrites, all the that are there. Well, did not some of them think that they had believed in Jesus? So yeah, the insurance starts to get kind of squishy. So the passage that I like to turn to is Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 26 and following. And the reason I like to turn to this passage, three reasons. Number one, it makes it clear the person it's talking about was saved. And number two, yes it makes it clear the person is truly lost. And number three, it is part of a letter, and the whole letter is designed to warn believers, saints, not to miss out on eternal life. So here's the passage. I'm going to start in Hebrews 10:26, and it says, If we sin willfully after that we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice of sins. And a Calvinist might at that point say, well, that just means you got the knowledge of the truth. It doesn't really mean you were saved by it, but let's continue. 
But a certain what remains is a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fierceness of fire which shall devour the adversary. And a Calvinist might say, okay, okay, so he's going to suffer in some way, but he's still saved. But wait, verse 28 says, a man that has said it not Moses' law dies without compassion on the word of two or three witnesses. Under the old law, you suffered death. That was the penalty for sin. Verse 29, of how much sorer for uh, anybody who doesn't catch that word, the meaning is worse. For how much worser, <laughs> sorer punishment, think ye, shall he be judged worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God? The sorer punishment is worse than death. So he's lost. Is he somebody who was really saved? It says, trodden underfoot the Son of God and is counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done despite under the Spirit of grace. Friends, if you've been sanctified by the blood of the covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross, if you've been sanctified by that blood, you're saved. Right. And yet this person who has sanct- who was sanctified by the blood of the covenant is going to face a, a punishment worse than death. Uh, this seems to rebut Calvinism. And a uh, judgment and a fierceness of fire that will devour the adversary. Yeah, I didn't even finish it. There you go. Okay, you've heard of dueling banjos. We're going to be now dueling verses. Scott, I'm sorry, Jeff, I'm going to add, add something. My verse that I went and found, if you go to Romans 11, beginning in 17, Paul's talking about how the Jews rejected him, right? And he was they were being cut off the true vine. Verse 17 says, but if some of the, this is Romans 11, 17. If some of the branches were broken off, that's referring to the Jews, and you, that's the Gentiles, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root, that makes them part of the kingdom of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, that's the Jews, neither will he spare you, that's the Gentiles who came to Christ. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen. Kindness to you, provided, sounds like a condition, you continue in his kindness. Excellent. And then the last part of the verse says, otherwise, you too will be cut off. I was going for the punchline, but you got it, Steve. (laughs) You too will be cut off. Right. Doesn't get any clearer than that to me. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm just too simple minded. I want something more complicated. I don't know. That's pretty clear. That's pretty clear. Yeah, the one that I usually go to is Second Peter chapter two, at the end of that passage where he's talking about these false teachers. And in chapter two, and again, like Jeb, I think in this passage you've got someone who's very clearly saved and then very clearly lost. Second Peter two, starting in verse twenty. Stephen, after you make the point of this text, I'm going to play the role of the Calvinist and give the common uh, argument made against it to, for you to respond to. Okay, go ahead. Okay, sounds good. So 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 20, 2 Peter 2.20. For if, 
after they have escaped defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. There's a Calvinist response to that, Scott? Yeah, he would say that almost invariably this is what they'll say. Oh, no, 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 these people weren't really Christians. These people weren't really saved. Uh, you've had these false teachers coming along, false prophets. Not, these aren't real Christians because they only have a knowledge of Jesus. They don't have Jesus. They just have a knowledge of him. Look there in verse 20, um, through the knowledge. And so it's, it's in their head, but it's not in their heart. So they're now, never, that's a Calvinist argument. Right, then what would be the benefit, Mr. Calvinist, that 21 says it would have been better for them never to have that knowledge? If the value of the knowledge is no value, Paul's saying, I'm sorry, Peter's saying, well, it was there is value that it would have been better that you didn't know it. Well, then. Maybe, maybe that an honest sinner is better than a hypocrite. You know, but okay, it's so, a yeah. lot of difference. I maybe think that, what ifs. I think that the helpful answer to that argument is found back in Second Peter chapter 1. Yes. In the same letter, as he's addressing these Christians, again, he's writing to them, he says, uh, in, in Second Peter one one, it's just helpful to see this. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He's writing to Christians. Verse three: His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And then just right on top of that, read the language from verse 20 of chapter 2 that you started out with, and you see the idea of knowledge of Jesus Christ and having escaped the influence of the world. If after having escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, boy, in the context of the first few verses of chapter 1, that becomes clear what that means. That's somebody who's saved. So you put together Hebrew that you came up with, Jeff, and then Second Peter and uh, Stephen, you came in with that, and then Romans 11. You get a picture here that these are people that can be lost after they've come into salvation. We have a viewer who mentioned James chapter, I think said verses five, uh, chapter 5. 20. Yeah, it talks about if he who converts a soul, um, a sinner from the error of his way, saves a soul from death. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's real. That's if you if one among you err. So it's from among the brethren. Yeah. And on Second Peter, I, unbelievably, I had a discussion with a fellow believer from once they'd always say he'd actually knocked on my door here and we were talking. And I showed him there in chapter one. I, you know, chapter two, they had escaped through the knowledge of Christ. Past tense. They had escaped through the knowledge of Christ. Chapter one, it's written. 
to these, you know, Christians that had escaped through the knowledge. And so he proposed that maybe first Peter, I mean, maybe second Peter wasn't written to Christians. Uh, but, but, but Stephen yeah. <laughs> brought up the point in the beginning that it's the sit they were on the same level as the, as the apostles. Well, maybe Peter wasn't saved. Maybe, maybe Peter wasn't a Christian. That's right. And, and this is where you get the tail wagging the dog is you, yeah. get, committed, you get it committed to a conclusion and yeah. you got to make everything fit that. And my, one of the, the big, big picture questions that I sometimes wonder about is if it is impossible for Christians to fall from grace and to be lost after they've been saved. Why was the book of Hebrews written? And Jeff, you brought that point up earlier. Why was the book of Galatians written? Why go through all this trouble to explain and to refute the arguments of the false teachers if there's no real lasting spiritual danger for the people uh, that are being influenced by these false teachers? It's like, well, listen, they're safe. They're already saved. Nothing, nothing can affect them. So, why go to such lengths to Calvinism? If they're lost, there's no hope for them to be otherwise. Right. Which means Paul was wasting his time correcting the church, the, the, the Christians in those different churches. Is that what it's saying? Or whoever wrote Hebrews or Peter or James right. or the Holy spirit. So we also had a, uh, a comment come in uh, earlier from Billy saying, uh, and this was on the question of a fate worse than death. Yeah. Um, from what you were saying earlier, he says, isn't living in sin worse than death on this earth because you will die in loneliness and pain. Um, there's certainly, uh, living in sin is not going to bring us a good life on this earth. That, that is for sure. But certainly the fate worse than death is of course the second death as it's described in the book of revelation, uh, going to hell away from the presence of God. I don't know if we back to to the current topic. I don't know if we have any uh, Calvinists uh, in our, our audience. Uh, if so, please give us some feedback that we're missing something here with the scriptures that we've been pointing out. Uh, we'd like but to hear. Bear from in you. mind that if Calvinism is true, by opposing Calvinism, we're only doing what God planned and caused us to do. From the it's beginning. the sovereign will of God. We had no choice in the matter. <laughs> According to Calvinism, if we are Calvinists. I know we've just got a, a few minutes left. Do we want to get into our related question on Calvinism and the time we've got left? We've got about seven minutes. Yeah, well, that, that is related to the very topic. What is that one, Stephen? Uh, Mark asked, does John fifteen sixteen imply Calvinism? If not, how do I answer this to a Calvinist? So let's look at that text, John chapter 15, verse 16. In the context here, this is Jesus' final conversation before his death with his apostles. It was the 12 at the beginning of chapter 13, and then Judas left. And so he's talking with the 11 here in chapter 15. John 15, beginning in verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So what are your thoughts on responding to that, where Jesus says that? Is he talking to me directly in this one? That's an important question to ask in this context, because Jesus is going to say some things here in this last conversation, chapters 13 through 17, that certainly apply to all Christians that are applicable to all believers. But he's going to say some other specific things in this context that really just apply to the apostles as well. Scott? Wait a minute. Wait, before you guys go, so let me clarify this. So what you're saying, Stephen, is that 
when Jesus speaks, sometimes he's speaking to the general public. Sometimes he's speaking specifically to an individual or maybe to a set of individuals. But it's not when he speaks, everything covers everybody all the time. Right. When he said to go and prepare an upper room for him to eat the Passover, I don't think that means I need to go prepare an upper room for Jesus to eat the Passover. That was given in a specific place, specific time uh, for a specific person. Okay. Scott. Which is not to say that there aren't other passages that clearly state that we as Christians are chosen hmm. and that God has for, but that's, that's, uh, that's taught in like Ephesians chapter one, Romans eight talks about <laughs> the Christians are the elect, etc. But in relationship to the apostles, who is who Jesus is speaking to here, remember back when he said to Matthew, follow me, when he said to Peter, follow me, etc. And then after they've been following him, we have this text, Luke 6, 13. When it was day, he called the disciples, which would be a number of people, and he chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. And that seems to fit pretty well the language here in John 16. He said, I chose you and appointed you. They, they didn't say, hey, we're going to be the apostles. Right. You know, he, he, made, that, he made that choice. Yeah. And, so you know, in this specific, talking to the apostles. Right. And before Judas leaves, Jesus... Yeah, and in the same context, in the same conversation, before Judas leaves, Jesus has said something similar back in John 13, verse 18. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture must be the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread lifted his heel against me. Um, and so there were some very specific things about the 12 that Jesus chose, including Jesus chose Judas, knowing what Judas would go on to do. Um, and so there's a more specific, I think, narrow sense of choosing applied to the apostles in this context. All right. So the answer to his question is, how do you address that verse is that this is specifically speaking to the apostles. He chose them for a particular purpose. Right? And just and Yeah. And just to step back for anybody who may not be real familiar with the, the context, this is the night before Jesus is crucified. He's eaten the Passover supper, what people often refer to as the Last Supper, with the, with the apostles. Judas has gone out to betray him. He's spending hours with the apostles. He's going to end up in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to be praying. Uh, Peter, James, and John are going to go with him, and then he's going to separate himself from them, and he's going to be praying. But this is all in this, these few hours between the time he eats that Passover meal and the next morning where he's going to be brought before Pilate and then crucified. And he's talking to the apostles in these last few hours. He says things to them in many instances that are applicable to all of us, but there are clearly things he says to them that are, are uniquely appropriate for them as he leaves them. And to reiterate, the Bible clearly talks about election and, and such. One of the problems with Calvinism, if you look at the four, five points, the first four, there's an adjective noun, adjective noun, adjective noun. One of the biggest problems with Calvinism, besides its misconception of sovereignty of God, is it's those adjectives on the front of those nails. The Bible teaches grace. The Bible teaches atonement. The Bible teaches election. The Bible teaches the wickedness of man. It's those, those adjectives. Irresistible grace. 
can the Holy Spirit be resisted? What did Stephen say in Acts 7? You always resist the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. It's the limited, oh, thank you. It's the limited atonement. Uh, John said uh, in 1 John 2, Jesus died not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. world. Uh, it's the unconditional election. Second uh, Peter said, if we continue in these virtues and do these things as we're supposed to, we will secure, make stable our election. And speaking of stable, this says my internet connection is unstable. Can you all hear me? I'll hear you fine. Your video is going good. And we are getting close to the end, so I'm just going to put up the uh, contact information when you guys finish up on some of these uh, points. And so there's a big difference between conditional election and unconditional election. The Bible teaches election. Calvinism insists on an unconditional election. And the Bible is full of conditions. As we get down to the end of the program here, I think we wanted to say a word of thanks to Noah Andrews. Absolutely. Noah Andrews has been our webcast engineer and uh, does a great job of getting to us all the comments that our viewers send in to us. He is going to be heading to headed to New England here for the summer. He's got an internship up there. And so we're going to lose his services. But we uh, thank you very much, Noah, for all the time that you've taken to help us out with this webcast. And, I, and, for and last week, week we found out how much we needed him because he wasn't here last week. And yes. we missed all our Stephen and I found out how, how much we miss him. And uh, next week is his last week with us. And he's also leaving the Wednesday Bible Quest TV, uh, TV program. And so we are going to miss you, Noah. And um, I guess we need to find someone who uh, wants to join our team as the, as the um, web engineer. Uh, we'll gladly train you for free. You could work from anywhere in the world. Well, you have an internet connection, so we're looking for someone that wants to help out. And uh, any of the comments on that, guys, before we sign off? What about the paying benefits, Drew? Well, I think uh, we'll give them the same benefits we'll be giving Noah. And no, I'm sorry to have to tell this to everybody else, but we really we have to double the salary to get more people. <laughs> uh, well, thank you guys so much. It's been a pleasure working with you. Which, all. How much did we pay Noah? Uh, we ain't paying. It's a volunteer <laughs> thing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so we can definitely double that. If I could just plug tomorrow's webcast uh, at 3 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow, BibleQuest, uh, the New York City, New Jersey Philly edition. We're going to talk about gambling tomorrow. There was a Supreme Court ruling that oh, yeah. a lot of people have been talking about, I think, yesterday. Uh, it might be a good time to talk a little bit about gambling. Right. And one plug, if somebody wants to look into these passages and some others in a little more detail, uh, YouTube three-minute Bible study, once saved, always saved. And I've got uh, two three-minute videos on that topic. You can Google it or YouTube it. Three-minute three Bible study. or .org? Uh, you can go to the website, three-minute or you can just uh, Google it or go to YouTube, the YouTube channel. Either way. All right, great. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, everybody. All right, thank you, everybody. Look forward to seeing you next week. Have a good week.